That was so cool, wasn't it? Our worship team is like, when are we going to sing that song? Uh, so I want to start today just by um, a, a little interactive exercise. Now, you don't have to participate if you're uncomfortable participating in these kind of things. Uh, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to say a few words, and I want you to tell me who said those words, okay? So I'm going to give a few, a, a few words, a couple sentences, and you will immediately recognize uh, who said them. So you can just, you know, yell it out. I'll give you a softball to start off with, okay? Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth. Thank you, thank you. All right. Emancipation Proclamation, Abraham Lincoln. That was a softball. Just getting you guys warmed up, all right? Um, Let me assert my belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Did I get FDR over here? That's FDR's first inaugural address, but, you know, that's close. Close enough. All right, here's here's an easy one, all right? I have a dream that one day... All right, all right. All right, good. Okay, this is a harder one. This is a harder one. The caged bird sings with a fearful trill of things unknown but longed for still. Okay, come on. Some literary folks out there. How about this one? I never meant to cause you any sorrow. Oh, there's just only one of you knows? Come on. That's the artist formerly known as the artist formerly known as Prince. That's my karaoke jam, so if we ever we ever do that as a church, just know. Um, what, what I think is fascinating is that, like, with less than a sentence, all I have to say is a few words, and it immediately brings to mind the person who spoke those words, right? You just know who I'm talking about when I just say just a few words, because I think our words tell people what we're about, right? They, they, they state our mission. They state our purpose. They state our meaning. They give insight into what we really stand for and who we really are, especially when our words and our actions come together uh, in, in a way that's commensurate with one another, and we live out the things that we speak. Now, a lot of times I think that as Christians, uh, those of us who f- call ourselves followers of Jesus, we can complicate this whole quest to be a follower of Jesus, we make it very, very difficult. We, uh, you know, we create all sorts of rules and procedures and behaviors and conduct and coded language that we have, and we kind of complicate the whole process of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. But Jesus actually makes it incredibly simple, and so I want to explore for the next few weeks what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Here's what, here's what he basically says about it. He says that to be a follower of me, all you have to do is hear my words and do them. Know what I'm saying, study what I'm saying, learn what I'm saying, and then go out and practice what I'm saying. In fact, in, uh, in Luke cha- uh, chapter 8, he says this, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. So if you're here today, and, and let's say you're a Christian, and you've just gone, you know what, there's a complexity to what it means to be a Christian, and I'm not totally sure if I'm living this out. Or maybe you're a skeptic, or maybe you're you know, a seeker, and you're thinking, look, I'm not sure if I'm a follower of Jesus, not even sure if I want to be. Well, you're in for you know, a treat for the next several weeks, because all we're going to do 
for the next several weeks is just look at the teachings of Jesus. What did he actually say? In his own words, what did he say? And then how do we live out what he said? I don't know about you, but like for the last few weeks, my heart has been heavy as I look at the news and I look at what's going on in Baltimore and what happened in South Carolina and what's going on in Nepal and what's hap- you know, happening with ISIS in, in Iraq and, and Boko Haram in Nigeria. And I, and I just look around and you go, man, there is, a, there is a real palpable, genuine brokenness in our world that you just can't escape. If you, if you, unless you hide your head in the sand, you just can't help but to look around and go, there's a brokenness. There are people in our world who have adopted a philosophy or are following different philosophies or following words of different leaders, and the results are absolutely devastating. Maybe sometimes even in our own life, we're experiencing brokenness, right? We're, we're experiencing brokenness in our relationships, We're experiencing brokenness and frustration and heartache in our finances or in our career or in our pursuits or in our loneliness or whatever it is. And we say, you know, how do we how do we really what do we do in light of this brokenness? What how how do we deal with it? What how can we be a source for change both personally and societally? Right. And it keeps coming back to this for me in, in prayer and study. It keeps coming back to this. Learn my words and then do them. Study what I have to say, and then do them. Do the things that I've commanded you to do. That's the only requirement that Jesus has for us. In fact, at one point, he said this. He said, let me tell you what it's like for the person who hears my words and puts them into practice. He says, that person is like a a, a man who goes out and digs a deep hole in the ground and then lays a foundation on the bedrock deep beneath the soil, and then builds their house upon that rock. Then when the storm comes, and the rain comes, and the brokenness comes, and the hurt comes, and the heartache comes, that that house stands. That house stands in place. And those who hear my words and don't put them into practice... They're like somebody who just drives stakes into the soil, builds a house up around it, and then when the rain comes and the wind comes, it gets knocked over. It gets completely demolished because there's no foundation. So I just want to spend the next several weeks, I've just felt this deeply in my heart, like the next several weeks, let's just get deep in what Jesus said. Like let's take it seriously. Let's look at it deeply. I don't know about you, but I tend to sometimes spiritualize what Jesus said and just be like, yeah, well, you know, that would be great, but, you know, in reality. But Jesus is saying, no, I really want you to explore what I'm saying and then put it into practice. So today we're going to start with one of the, well, probably the most famous sermon that Jesus ever preached. Uh, it, some people call this the crown jewel of Jesus's teaching. Uh, this is his manifesto, is what a lot of commentators say. Um, even critics and, 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 and atheists and agnostics say, you know what, this is sort of the apex of, of, of human ethics and human morals. And it's the Sermon on the Mount. It's the sermon that Jesus preached um, to his followers after, at the, sort of towards the beginning of his ministry, when he had been out healing people and casting out demons and saving people and doing all these kind of wonderful works. Then he went up, the scripture says, and let's look at it. It says, now when Jesus saw the crowds, because people were flocking to him, it says, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside 
and he sat down. So he's kind of like Moses going up on the mountain, sitting down, getting ready to open his mouth. It says his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. And here's what he said. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed, next slide, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's an amazingly beautiful passage, and yet sometimes when we look at it, we think, man, it's just, is it poetry? Like, how do we live that out? What, what does it mean? So I want to take a few minutes today and sort of unpack this Sermon on the Mount and try to apply it to your life and my life and see if we can't just explore what it means and put it into practice. So there are a couple things that you need to know uh, if we're going to really drill down on this. One is, what does this word blessed mean? He keeps saying blessed, 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 blessed. We don't really use that word um, today, but it means happy, fortunate, enviable, full of felicity, gladness, and joy. So Jesus begins his sermon by saying, this is the result of following my teachings. There is a depth of joy, gladness, felicity, hope, and it's not a temporary thing. It's not like a moment of gladness. It's not a, you know, we we have happiness a lot of times that's conditional upon circumstance. He's saying it's not that because I'm not saying that you won't mourn. I'm not saying that you won't grieve. I'm not saying that you won't suffer. All that is baked into this. But in the midst of that, there will be a sustaining sense of joy and peace if you put into practice my teachings. And the second thing that you need to know about this sermon, if you really want to understand it, is that all of these beatitudes, is what they're called, all of these blessings are related to relationships. Either our relationship with God or our relationship with other people. In fact, everything that Jesus teaches throughout the Scripture, almost every single item of Jesus' teaching has to do with our relationship with God, our vertical relationship, and our relationship with other people, our horizontal relationship. In fact, at one point when someone comes to him and says, you know, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, it's very simple. All of the law, all of the prophets, all of the narratives, all of the Scripture is summed up in this. Love the Lord thy God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So that's that relationship, that vertical relationship. And love your neighbor as yourself. That's that horizontal relationship. It's all relational. So what I want to do uh, today is I've taken these beatitudes and I've and I and I've sort of categorized them into two camps. The one camp is uh, those that are in relation that focus on our relationship with God, and the other one is. That fo- the ones that focus on our relationship um, with other people. So let's dive into the ones that focus on our relationship with God. And the first one is this, that true and lasting joy, uh, I'm sorry, I, I skipped over one. Um, let me give you that, let me give you that. If you take those two elements and put them together, then we see that true and lasting joy comes from being in right relationship with God and others. That, I think, is the theme. That's the big idea. That's the purpose of this whole teaching. All right, so let's jump into the first uh, beatitude, and that's this. You enjoy God's abundance. 
if you have your sermon notes, you can follow along. You can grab one of these and just fill these in. You enjoy God's abundance when you recognize your own poverty. You enjoy God's abundance when you recognize your own poverty. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, right? For, they, for theirs is the kingdom of God. He's not talking about, you know, poverty, financial poverty in this scripture. What he's talking about is a, a poverty of spirit. And what that means is an attitude towards God where we say, God, you are great. You are bountiful. You are full. You are majestic. You are mighty. And I, in relation to you, am nothing. I have nothing of my own merit that will impress you. I can't, my life cannot be uh, ethical bean counting where I go, well, I did these four bad things, and then I, but I did these two really good things, and so God, I should, you know, I should deserve your merit. Or maybe I did six good things and four bad things, right? And, and Jesus is saying, no, poor in spirit means you are completely, you recognize your complete and total impoverishedness and brokenness and, and depravity as a person, and you say, God, I need to be filled by you. Right there's a there was a guy named uh, Chuck Colson. Some of you may have heard of him. He he was with um, President Nixon during the whole Watergate scandal. In fact, was a part of the Watergate scandal and um, was a bad guy. He was he used his power um, to do wrong. And uh, at one point, he was convicted and he was imprisoned. And it was during that lowest period of his life that he converted and he became a Christian. He became a Jesus follower. And he basically, at that point, turned his life completely over to uh, the work of the Lord. He started the largest outreach to prisoners in the United States called Prison Fellowship. All of the money that he received in grants and scholarships and speaking fees, he donated to charity. He basically just, he basically turned his life around and said, and and here's what he says. Uh, Listen to his own quote. He says, all at once, at this lowest point in his life, he said, all at once, I realized that it was not about my success. He said, God had, used, God had used to enable me to help those in prison uh, or in the hundreds of others just like it. He said, it wasn't my success that God used. All of my achievements meant nothing in God's economy. No, he said, the real legacy of my life was my biggest failure, that I was an ex-convict. He said, my greatest humiliation being sent to prison was the beginning of God's greatest use of my life. He chose, he said, God chose the one thing in which I could not glory for his glory. In other words, Chuck Colson was saying, look, it was only when I could recognize and accept my own poverty, my own poorness of spirit, that God was able to use me to his glory and to bring honor to him. So Jesus is basically saying this to us today. Don't try to negotiate your way into a relationship with God. Come to God with a humility and a poorness of spirit, open and accepting of his love and his grace that you can freely receive, and that is when you experience the joy of your salvation. It's not through your works. It's through the work that he did. So that's point number one. Amen. Number two, you enjoy God's nearness when you experience your own isolation. And this is from the Beatitude that says, Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Uh, Jesus, again, sometimes when we are experiencing this, when we're recognizing our own brokenness, when we're recognizing our own poorness of spirit, there's a time of mourning. 
There's a time of loss. There's a time of sadness that comes along with that. In fact, Jesus tells this amazing story about two men that were in the temple. And one was a publican, a sinner, a guy who was just morally depraved, wasn't even trying, was just like, I give up. I'm, you know, this is a guy that had totally, totally messed up his life. And he said there was another man praying who was a Pharisee, who was a religious, pious leader. And, um, and, 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 and Jesus was commenting on their two prayers because he said the, the Pharisee came and said, God, I am so thankful. I'm just so grateful that I am not an adulterer. I'm not a sinner. I'm not an extortioner. I don't take people's money. I don't take bribes. I give my tithe. I tithe on everything, on the gross of everything I make. I tithe everything. I, I, I observe every religious practice. I come to the temple multiple times a day. I pray. You know, I'm, I'm like, I'm so dialed in, God. Thank you so much that I rock so much, you know. Thank you, Lord. And, and he tops off his prayer by going, and you know what? Thank you that I am not like this loser who is just clearly a total screw-up. I'm just so grateful for you, God. You know, and, and that's his prayer. That's his, that's his prayer. Jesus said the other guy couldn't even look up, couldn't even look up to heaven, was so burdened by his own sin that he, the Scripture said he smote his breast. And he said, God, please have mercy upon me, a sinner. I have nothing to give. I have nothing to offer you. Jesus said, who do you think was justified? Who went home justified, right? The man who was, had absolutely nothing to offer God, who was in mourning at the, at the recognition of his own sin, and in that was brought close to God and was comforted. So that's number two. You liking this? Is this good stuff? This is good. Um, number three, you enjoy God's power when you acknowledge your own weakness. You enjoy God's power. And this comes from the beatitude, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Inherit the earth seems to mean some strength, right? Whereas meekness, we tend to relate it to weakness. It's really not, but we sort of think of it that way. Let me put it this way for you. My son, Lincoln, is a wild man, and he just jumps off of things and does nutty things, and he's insane. Um, And uh, the other day, uh, he was swinging in the backyard a couple weeks ago and fell off the swing. Some, somebody was pushing him. I don't know who would have been responsible. But, but some, um, anyway, he fell off the swing. I got to stay away from slides and swings with my children and baseballs. Um, so he's, he's swinging. He comes off the swing. He falls, and he, he, bro- he had a minor, fr- a slight fracture on his wrist. Um, we took him into the hospital uh, he actually slept through the entire thing. And we got to the hospital. They're like, they could not wake him up. They're putting, putting the splint on him. But anyway, um, and he's one of these guys, he's four years old. He does not want your help at any time for any purpose at all. And in fact, when you try to help him, it makes him very angry. He just gets really upset, right? So he's trying to put his seatbelt on, which it's hard enough to, I mean, seatbelts and you got the thing that's way down there. It's hard as an adult to put your seatbelt on. Uh, here's a four-year-old who's struggling to put the seatbelt on with his hand in a, in a splint, you know, and he can't get it. And I keep trying to reach over to try to help him. And he's just fighting me off. He's so mad. He just doesn't want any help at all, right? And finally, he just can't get it. You know, he just, it just doesn't work. And so he sort of melts down in little tears, and just is like, you know, just slumps his head, his little, his little lip pops out, you know. And so I'm like, okay, buddy, let, let, me, let me help you, all right? And, you know, I just take the seatbelt and I just pop it into place, right? 
That's what Jesus is saying. He's like, you're out here struggling. You're struggling with your own expectations. You're struggling with your own purpose in life. You're struggling with your relationship. You're struggling with your job. You're struggling with your, you know, with your family. You're struggling with your kids. You're struggling at school. You're struggling to graduate. You're struggling with, you know, financial aid. You're struggling with your loans. He said, stop struggling. Stop struggling. Just turn it over to me. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying you don't do anything, but let me be your strength. Stop trying to be your own strength. Stop trying to buckle in your own seatbelt with your broken wrist, you know, and your little spindly arms. Don't try to do that, right? Let your dad buckle you in, right? Let, get some, let, let God help you out a little bit, all right? So, so, so you enjoy his power when you acknowledge your weakness. Number four, you enjoy God's in, intimacy when you engage him honestly. And, and, and this is a powerful one. This is the one that always kind of got to me because it says, um, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. And, I, and when I think about that, you know, when, when I first thought about pure of heart, I think, okay, so, that, so that's nobody, right? So, that does, so this just doesn't count. So we just, let's throw this one out. Because who is pure of heart? Who never has a bad thought, right? Right? <laughs> We should record. Let's get a microphone for Mother Ray just to help. Just to, this is good. Um, who, who, who is pure of heart? Who never struggles? Who never has a bad thought about somebody else or something that you look at or something? You, who's really pure in heart, right? But here's what Jesus is saying. Pure in heart has to do not necessarily with perfection of heart. It has to do with transparency of heart. It has to do with honesty of heart. It has to do with you going, you know what? I'm messed up. I messed up, God, and I'm not going to try to cover it. I'm not going to try to hide it. I'm not trying to downplay it. I just want to expose it to you because I need your help cleansing my heart. Like David prayed, renew in me a clean heart and put a right spirit in me, God. And, and you know, David, David is one of these guys, when, whenever I do something that I don't think is good, I just, I'm just glad there's David because David is, David was the worst, like the stuff that he did, he would not qualify. He could not be on our dream team. I'm just telling you, Dave, David is, David, you, you just couldn't be, you, David murdered a man because he had slept with the man's wife and got her pregnant while the man was out fighting for him. That's how bad David was. And when Nathan the prophet came to David and said, hey, David, let me tell you something. There is a man in your kingdom who has a thousand sheep. And there's another man in your kingdom who has one sheep. And the guy who has one sheep raised that sheep ever since it was a little tiny baby lamb. And he took and he fed that lamb with his own food and he gave it his own water and he, and he slept with that lamb next to him, uh, curled up like a, little, like a little child, like a little one of his own children. And he just raised that lamb and then the guy with a thousand sheep, when he had a visitor come to town, came over to the guy with one sheep and took that little sheep, that little lamb that he raised, and he slaughtered it, even though he had a thousand sheep to choose from. David is, is furious at this, right? And David says, tell me who that man is. I will have him killed today. Nathan the prophet turns to David and says, that's you. You're that man, David. You have everything you want. You can have anything you want, and there's a man out here that was fighting for you, that loved you, that was loyal to you, that was patriotic, and you killed him so you could sleep with him. I mean, you know, and the Bible says that David, David 
you know, was completely exposed. His, his heart was completely exposed, and he begged for forgiveness. And that's, that's when he said, renew a right spirit in me. And, and the Bible then later on goes to say that David was a man after God's own heart. So purity of heart doesn't mean perfection. Praise God. Purity of heart means a willingness to acknowledge the sin in your own life, expose it to God, confess it to somebody else, get a Nathan in your life, get it out there, and then accept God's forgiveness and move on forward. There's a great Proverbs, I think it's, I think it's Proverbs 28, that says, the man who conceals his sin will not prosper. He's not going to prosper. Uh, but the one who confesses his sin and renounces it, that's who's going to find mercy. So purity of heart is this willingness to be open with God about your flaws and your failures. Okay, so those are the four pieces of the beatitude that most focus upon our relationship with God. I'm going to give you the last four that focus primarily, as I see it, on our relationship with other people. Um, So number five is you enjoy God's friendship when you seek his justice. And this is based on the beatitude that said, uh, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, uh, for they shall be filled. Now, you may think of righteousness and say, well, that sounds like personal piety to me or personal holiness. And it can mean that. But often in the Bible, and, and most often in the Bible, when God talks about righteousness, he's talking about justice. He's talking about seeking justice for other people uh, and, and having right relationship with other people. In fact, when Jesus was teaching people about what it meant to be righteous, he told the story of the Good Samaritan. And the story of the Good Samaritan, as you know, is there was a man on his way from Jerusalem uh, to uh, Jericho, and he was beaten by robbers, left for dead. And a priest, highly pious, highly super righteous, walked right on by, didn't take care of him. A Levite walked right by, didn't help him. And then a Samaritan, somebody who was not observing the law, somebody who was not living up to the rituals of the law, somebody who was not practicing uh, uh, the Jewish religion, somebody who was not abiding by the strictures of the law, not following the regulations, stopped, picked up the man, took him to a, a, a hotel, cleansed his wounds, and said, look, if, you, if this guy, you know, paid for his room, said, if, you, if, if this guy needs anything, come to me, put it, on my, put it on my account. And Jesus said, that guy's righteous. That's the righteous guy. So, so, so Jesus in this, in this beatitude is saying, you know, you enjoy the intimacy of God when you seek justice for other people. I, I don't know about you, but when I look around the world, and I say, God, what is our purpose as a church? What is my role? What is my job in life? What is my purpose in life? And what is the purpose of our church? I, I think a big part of it is bringing justice into the world, is, is helping the people that are struggling, helping the homeless, helping feed the poor, helping clothe the naked, helping liberate those who are in bondage. It's not just personal piety. It is that. Uh, and we want to, we want to, you know, we want to live upstanding and moral lives, but we also want to be a place where we're just reaching out and helping other people. We're just bringing hope and life and, and sustenance to other people. James said true religion, religion is this, uh, to, to, to look after the fatherless and the widows and to keep yourself unspoiled, unsoiled from the world. So it's, it's both, right? It's not either or. So I, I just feel like that's, that's got to be who we are as a church. And it is. I mean, we're doing that, but I just feel like as we go forward, let's just focus on that. How can, we, how can we serve the poor in our community? How can we serve those who are struggling? Uh, you know, the, the mothers who, have, who are raising kids on their own. How can, we, how can we reach out to those? The kids in the, in the school district. How can we reach out to those? Those who are fathers. How do we reach out to those, right? That's a, that's, that's a big focus. Uh, and that's number five. Um, number six, you enjoy God's mercy 
when you extend mercy to others. Um, And this is the beatitude uh, that says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Um, again, Jesus, Jesus demonstrates each one of these in his own life because he wants us to know. He doesn't want us just to see the words. He wants us to know what it looks like to actually live it out. So in, in, this, uh, in, in this beatitude, um, there's, a, there's a moment in Jesus' ministry uh, where he's uh, confronted by a group of Pharisees, and the Pharisees bring to him a woman who is caught in adultery. I mean, not like there's a rumor about her. It's not like maybe she was. No, she was actually caught in adultery. There's no question about it. They bring the woman to Jesus, and they want to challenge Jesus, and they want to test him because what they say to him is the law of Moses, as you know, Jesus, says that this woman should be stoned because she was caught in adultery. What do you say? Right? And they know that they've got him. They've got him in a corner because if Jesus says, well, you shouldn't stone her, then they can easily go, well, look, you know, obviously this guy's not obeying the law. What kind of a prophet is he? But, it, but on the other hand, they get a sense that he's not going to say, okay, yeah, go stone her, right? So, so they want to they just, they want to trap him. They really want to trap him. Uh, and so Jesus says this. He says, in essence, he goes, okay, we can stone her. Let's stone her, in fact. In fact, let's do it this way. I'm going to tell you how we're going to do it. I want, um, let, me get, let, me get us, let me get us organized here. The one of you that has never sinned, you go first. And then the rest of us will just follow you, all right? So you go ahead. Let's go. Here's the stones. There's the woman. Boom, let's move it, right? That's basically what he does. And everyone's like, yeah, right? They're going to pick, pick it now. Well, because they know, right? They know. They can just look around and go, well, he knows that I, Yeah. And actually, yeah, because I was with him when we, right, right? And, and, and the scripture says that one by one, like one guy just kind of slinked off like, hey, man, I, guys, I got to get to the temple. So, you know, bless you. Um, and, and after a little while, right, uh, Jesus looks up. The woman's still standing there. And he says, oh, where are the people who condemned you? Where, where are your accusers? Because I don't see any. <laughs> I'm looking around, and I don't see anybody here. And she said, well, I don't have any accusers. And he said, well, I'm not going to accuse you either. So now go on your way and don't sin anymore, okay? And he sends her off. We get mercy when we show mercy. What if we become that church? What if we become that church where people come in with all their junk and all their mess and all their stuff, right? And they come in here, and they don't get condemned. Nobody points the finger at them. Nobody says, you know, we're going to stone you, right? We're, we're, you might be stoned when you come in, but no. Um, we're, we're, we're not going <laughs> to. So, but what if we can become that church where we say, look, come in with your stuff, right? We're not saying the stuff is good. We're saying God loves you and we love you and we want to walk with you through this. We're not going to condemn you. We're all sinners too, man. We're just like you. In fact, that's a prerequisite to becoming a Christian. You can't become a Christian unless you're a sinner. That's, that's That's your ticket in. Until you can acknowledge, I'm broken, I'm messed up, you cannot become a follower of Jesus. So we show mercy and we get mercy. Amen? All right. Number seven, you enjoy God's affection when you bring about unity. 
He said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. That's God's affection towards us when we bring peace, when we bring unity into our world. I want to tell you something, because I just don't think that we even, we don't focus on this all the time, but it is important for us to recognize how truly powerful our witness as a church is. We are a multi-ethnic, multi-generational, multi-socioeconomic, multi-class, whatever you want. We We are a diverse community of believers that have come together under the banner of Christ in a world that is very striated and very, and very segregated and very, very, people are shut off from each other. And for whatever reason, God has chosen to bring us together. I believe a, a, a deep part of our witness is just who we are and just as a community walking it out. In fact, we had a, a party, a dream team party. All of our dream team members went to it. We had a party at the Magnolia Hotel a few weeks back. And, um, and it, you know, it was just a party. We just hung out and had fun and ate and had music and funny games and Claude did like was emceeing he was on fire I mean it was like serious comedy chops um but anyway it was really fun and uh and this week um Debbie were you talking to that yeah so Debbie was talking to the person that was the manager over the Magnolia Hotel and she said uh, I ran into her and she said you know your, your church was like she said all of our staff after that party was saying who are those guys like, where, where, where do they go to church? Like, can we go to their church? Or where? how do we find those guys, right? Because they said they couldn't believe that this group of people had, were all together in genuine, real, loving community with one another, kind to one another, kind to them. I mean, I'm sure they get every—I used to be in the food service, you know, in college. I was a waiter, man. People are not nice. Um, there was some spitting and some food going on back then. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I, was, I wasn't a Christian, though, so— um, not really. Uh, and, and, and they were just saying, look, why? Because, because our testimony is that we bring people together. We bring people together under the banner of Jesus, and we, we love each other. We take care of each other. We look after each other. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. We receive God's affection. We enjoy God's affection when we bring about unity. Let's be that church. Let's be that church. And number eight is this. You enjoy God's might when you sacrifice for right. Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. So I, I, he ends the sermon with that, which I think is really interesting. Because what I think he wants to say is, I'm not selling you, I'm not writing you a check that I can't cash. Okay? I'm not telling you that life is Pollyanna. I'm not telling you that all this blessedness, all this gladness, all this felicity, all this joy is, is going to be unaccompanied by heartache, pain, persecution, struggles, difficulties, and challenges. You will experience that. In this world, you will have trouble. But be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. That's what he says, right? So we're fortunate, in, you know, here in our city, in our country, we're not, as Christians, we are not persecuted. You know, we, we, we may have some frustrations time to time, but we're not a persecuted people here. There are pe- people in Iraq and Syria and brothers and sisters in Christ that are in, in other places that are struggling with great persecution. And we should be praying for them and, 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 and trying to serve them. Right. But 
it doesn't mean that we won't face struggles, right? For a lot of Jesus' followers, it didn't end well. It didn't end well on this earth, right? You look at John the Baptist. <laughs> he ended up with his head on a platter. That's not ending. <laughs> That's not how I would like to roll, you know? I, I just don't want to, I don't even know how to say that, but like, I don't, I don't want that to happen to me, basically. Um, Jesus, all of Jesus' disciples, right? Almost all of them. Scourged, stoned, you know, crucified, lashed with whips, killed, you know, every, everything, right? It doesn't necessarily, Jesus is not saying, hey man, everything's going to be gravy for you. What he's saying is in the depths of your challenges, if you're a follower of me, if you'll follow my words, if you're, if, if you're, if you're, you know, a believer and you'll give your heart to me and you'll seek to follow me and, and you'll, you'll, you'll abide in my word, right? Then there'll be a joy. There'll be a peace. There'll be a confidence. There'll be a comfort. There'll be a strength that will underlie your life. And it will be there. Doesn't mean you won't suffer. You will. But it'll be there. So I want to challenge us. I want to invite us for the next eight weeks to take in the words of Jesus, to devour them, to put them into our hearts, to meditate on them, to share them with our peers, to share them with our children, to live them out in our home, to live them out in our school, to take the words of Jesus and to just walk them out and just see what happens to us. In fact, I specifically want to challenge each and every one of you. Open the book of Matthew. The book of Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, okay? Because almost everything that we're going to be talking about for the next eight weeks is going to come from the book of Matthew because Jesus preached and taught and taught and preached and parabled and everything else in the, in the book of Matthew. I mean, really, if we were going to really do it, we would be doing another 52-week sermon series. <laughs> and there would be one person, Jason Fry, in our congregation who would be happy about that 52-week series. Um, for those of you who don't know, our first, my first sermon series at U-City Family Church lasted 52 weeks. Um, and that was insane. So, um, but, but we're going to explore the book of Matthew. So whether you are a believer, died in the wool, you go, you know, I got all this. Really, go back and read the book of Matthew. Right? Just go back and read it. See what Jesus said. See what Jesus said. And let's start living it out. If you're not a believer, it actually will not kill you to read the Bible. You actually don't have to believe it to read it. Isn't that amazing? It is, uh, it's just one of these books you can just open up and read. And, uh, you know, and then see what happens. So I want to challenge you specifically. Read the book of Matthew. And so for the next eight weeks, I believe that if we do that, if we devour his word, if we meditate on it, if we share it, if we live it out, we'll not only experience that deep peace inside of us, we will change the world by the words that Jesus said. Amen. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we come before you today and we just thank you for your word. We thank you for the words of Jesus. Uh, They're powerful. They're controversial. They're beautiful. They're comforting. Uh, they're disturbing at times, uh, and and yet they're revolutionary and they're transformative. And so, God, we just ask today that um, you would be with each and every one of us. Those that are here today that are not sure about what they believe about you, I pray that you would just give them the strength to to open your word and to read it. 
and just simply read the words that you that you say and, and, and the words that you said. And those of us that are followers of Jesus, that we are believers, I would just ask, Lord, that you, you know, that you give us the strength to start living this out, to get back to the basics, to get back to the words that Jesus said, to incorporate them into our lives, and then to walk them out in our daily uh, expression, every single one of us, every single day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm, I'm like totally jazzed about this sermon series. Um, so if you are going to go spend time out in nature over the next four Sundays, eight Sundays, whatever it is, um, we also have these ser- sermon series on our, um, on our website, so you can go there and check it out. Let's all stand together, shall we?